I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News, and now it's time for the Jack Riccardi Show. Oh, is it? Is it time for that? <laughs> yeah, it is. Good thing I'm here then. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have wanted to miss that. Jack, I'm not doing the show for you. So. I'll. Uh, you know who's. You know who is praying, Christian. You know who is praying hard right now. You know who's praying really hard right now. Like <laughs> like right before the final exam, kind of praying mm-hmm. is the college football playoff selection committee. Because this game tonight, right, the, the Pac-12, if you don't follow college football, the Pac-12 mm-hmm. championship game is tonight. Yep. It's Utah and USC. USC is the very soft number four yeah. pick in the four-team playoff, right? Very soft. They got to win this game. Or that committee will have s- such a headache on their hands. They'll be like, they'll be like eight different things they, they will have to consider doing. But if USC wins, they won't have to worry about any of that. Don't you think it's as simple as if USC loses, you just put Ohio State back in there? I would think so. But you've got people, you know, remember tomorrow you've got Clemson playing. Mm-hmm. So, so there are people making the argument for Clemson. Obviously, Ohio State would be would be one you would think of. What if now? What if LSU beats or even gives Georgia, uh, a, you know, a hard time? Well, tomorrow? then then you've got total chaos. So see, yeah. See, so yeah. I, I'm just. But if but if USC wins convincingly, or solidly, I don't think they'll have to worry about these other things. And and so I, I even if they're not usually praying people, they're praying right now. They are praying right now. <laughs> you can see their hands together. <laughs> that that game, I and I, I'm so I, I'm so surprised because I went. You and I talked about this. I went from being against expanding to now. I wish they had already expanded it for this year because there's. It's fascinating to think about all these teams. Like if if Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, Clemson were still in a 12 game. Uh, playoff. I think that'd be very interesting. I think I, th- I think some of the m- at least one of these top three or four teams would get knocked off. You know? Well, let's bring it closer to home. What do you think about UTSA and North Texas tonight? Y- y- see, even 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 it's it's a it's really on the outer edge. But yeah, you could even make the case for UTSA in a, in a twelve game playoff. Yeah, you could. All right, so that's going on. Um, I don't know if you've heard this or not today, but um, they've got a bunch more. Uh, layoffs going on at CNN. Um, in fact, I didn't even know that uh, Headline News was still on the air. I haven't watched Headline News since I think Bush was president, but apparently that's, that channel still exists, only it's they're going to lay off their entire staff. The new boss at CNN, Chris Licht, is taking out all the people that work on HLN, Robin Mead, everybody's gone, and they just fired a bunch more people on CNN today. Uh, including names you might recognize like Martin Savage, Allison Kosick. Uh, so uh, let me be clear. I, I, I would never celebrate or, or make light of people losing their job. It's happened to me. It's a terrible thing. It's, it's hard on people. It's hard on families. Whatever you think of CNN and, and the whole, you know, ball of wax over there, I, I'm not, I'm not saying ha ha ha, but, I think we are living through some very interesting disruptions right now. You know, when I think about what's going on with with corporate media, when I look at Elon Musk with Twitter, and he's making a big announcement this afternoon about the Hunter Biden laptop and how that was handled internally by Twitter before he took it over. You've got the 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 repositioning of CNN. Is it too late? I think it is. I don't think this guy's going to be able to save CNN. Uh, and then you've, and, and then, you know, obviously 
you've got everything that's that's happening right now um, with the revelations about the uh, Department of Justice and Homeland Security working with big tech, uh, really colluding with them against the rights, uh, the free speech rights of the American people. And I guess what I'm trying to say is I think these are very interesting times. I know you may be bummed about the midterms and you're bummed about, you know, I mean, we're all, we're all dealing with this inflation. I'm not trying to be Susie Sunshine here, but I, I got to tell you, uh, it's, there is a lot of comfortable people being made uncomfortable right now. And there's no telling how that ends, but I'm glad that it's happening. The problem with the guy at CNN, I think, is going to be this. I don't know exactly what he's doing. You know, they got new owners. They brought over a new guy named Chris Licht to run CNN. It had been run by a guy named Jeff Zucker, who was an old-time, long-time TV news executive. He'd been over at NBC. He worked on the Today Show. And Jeff Zucker destroyed CNN because Jeff Zucker was the guy that decided that CNN needed to be very ideological, very biased, very partisan, uh, that it needed to crusade against Trump and, and Trump's presidency. And now they've got this new ownership group and this new boss who is trying to say, we got to get back to the center. But here's the problem with that. You drove away all the centrist and center-right Viewers, anybody that was checking out CNN from the center to the right is not there anymore. The only audience you have left is the audience that has come to like. It's a very, it's a very small audience, much smaller than MSNBC's because they're much more partisan even than MSNBC. But they've, they've only got viewers that want them to keep doing what they've been doing. So he's putting on a new CNN. And it's the answer to a question no one is asking. There isn't anyone watching CNN who would appreciate the changes that he's making. And the people that work there, I mean, obviously he's going to keep most of them, some of them. They have been inside that echo chamber for so long, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know how this looks. So let me play this as an example, and he's not the sharpest bulb in the chandelier, but Don Lemon went on Stephen Colbert, and Colbert asked him about this, and listen to the answer Don Lemon gives, cut number 12. The word on the street is that you guys aren't allowed to be liberal anymore. Is that is that the case? I don't think we ever were liberal. What? Yes, I don't think we ever were <laughs> that, Not me saying that. That's the people out there saying that he's not letting you be liberal anymore. Uh, well, I, listen, I think that, I think what Chris is saying is that he wants Republicans, sensible Republicans, he wants us to hold people to account, but he wants oh. people to come on and feel comfortable with coming on yeah. and talking on, mm-hmm. on CNN. Yeah. Well, I don't think it ever was liberal. Okay. Um, so I, to me, and I, I mean, I go back. I, I, I watched CNN when it started. I, when I was in journalism school, working, working for CNN was the, that was like, you know, that would be like a young baseball player wanting to play for the New York Yankees. I mean, that was, that was, the, that was the, the, the ultimate thing. Oh, if we could just get hired at CNN. But it, it, in essence, what's happened is Zucker broke it so badly that no one's going to fix it. No one's going to put it back together again. I don't think, anyway. Um, we'll see. 
So tomorrow morning is the uh, USA Netherlands soccer game. Are you going to watch it? Are you going to get up and watch it tomorrow morning? I think it's on at like 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock our time. And, uh, of course, the big news this week was the uh, the victory over Iran, uh, for which the U.S. men's team is getting paid $13 million. And half of that money will be given to the U.S. women's team. The U.S. women's team isn't playing, didn't play. But they're getting half of what the men uh, won, which is estimated at $13 million. This is due to an agreement that was made that says World Cup winnings have to be pooled and divided equally between the men and the women's teams. So the women's teams will take home um, more in their share of the men's money than the total amount of money they took home in the last World Cup. Like in a typical World Cup, they might get a million or two million. When they won the championship, they got, I think, four million. So they're now getting nearly seven million because the men competed and made it to the first knockout round. Does that seem fair to you? Does that seem fair to you? For years, women have complained that they're not paid as much as men. And women athletes have complained that they're not paid as much as male athletes. But does that seem fair? Is that the right way to do it? There was also a story this week about the top player in the WNBA. I, I don't know very much about the WNBA, and I'm not saying that as a put-down. I just I don't watch it, but... Um, I, I would. I'm not saying I wouldn't. I'm just saying I haven't. Okay. I more, mostly watch college basketball, and I have been known to watch women's as well as men's. But anyway, the top player, top paid player in the WNBA plays for for uh, her name is Jewel Lloyd, and it came out this week that Jewel Lloyd makes two hundred thirty four thousand dollars a year. The mascot. For the NBA's Denver Nuggets, makes six hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars a year. The mascot makes like two and a half times. The mascot for an NBA team makes like two and a half times what the top-rated, top-paid female player in the WNBA makes, and people are outraged. Oh my goodness, it's so what a scandal! Well, you get paid based on how many people watch. You, you get paid based on the on the share of eyeballs that you draw. There's more money in, there's more business in men's sports, whether it's the World Cup, whether it's NBA, WNBA. So are these comparisons, do these make any sense to you? Do, the, do these seem outrageous to you? We're not talking about you work in an office and in the cubicle next to you is a woman doing the exact same thing and you get more than she does. We can all we could all see that might be unfair. We're talking about two, we're talking about two totally different um, amounts or pools of revenue or profit, and people are comparing them and saying, "Aha, we've got you." Rocky the mountain lion makes six hundred twenty-five thousand dollars a year as the mascot for the Denver Nuggets. Rocky the mountain lion. The highest-paid WNBA star, Jewel Lloyd, 
Oh, and we had the uh, state dinners uh, with President Macron from France uh, last night. I want to play a couple of things for you from that. So the president, President Biden, uh, you know, greeted Macron and um, gave a speech welcoming him to the United States, invoking the long history between the two countries. But Biden really doesn't pre-read his speeches. He just wings it off the teleprompter. That might have worked for Barack Obama. Doesn't work so great for Joe Biden. Cut number five. My friend and I were talking. France is our oldest ally, our unwavering partner in freedom's cause. From the spirit of Marcus de Lafayette, who helped secure the success of our revolution, to the sacrifice of American GIs, who stormed the beaches of Normandy. Mm. Our history has been shaped by the Did courage. Did you get that uh, reference the... to Marcus Lafayette? That is one cool dude, Marcus Lafayette. Yeah, he was he was great. Um, just Marcus Lafayette, our oldest ally. Uh, here he is um, offering a toast to the French and to the history with France. Uh, cut number eight. France was our first ally, first country to fly the American flag after our revolution. And Frank posted the first diplomatic post before, more than anything else, France has been our first friend. Mm. Frank. Marcus Lafayette. Frank. I don't know who these guys are, but sure is good to have them here. Did you see what uh, former President Obama said? He's campaigning for um, Raphael Warnock in Georgia. And he was trying to make the point that you might like Herschel Walker, Warnock's opponent, but that doesn't mean you should put him in the Senate. So he's, he's trying to explain that in his folksy way. And I think this is hilarious because people are trying to figure out if this was a dig at Joe Biden or if Obama just chose his words poorly. But listen to this, cut number four. We all know some folks in our lives who we don't wish them ill will they say crazy stuff where I'm like, well, you know, Uncle Joe, you know what happened to him. You know, it's okay. It, it, they're part of the family. But you don't give them serious responsibilities. But he got very Southern there, didn't he? For a guy from Illinois. Boy, he is just like deep fried, chitlins, got the whole thing going on. You know, give responsibility. But, but. Of all the names he could have chosen for the crazy uncle, he gave the crazy uncle the name Joe. Crazy Uncle Joe. We all have some people in our family say crazy stuff. We love them, but we don't put them in charge of anything serious like Crazy Uncle Joe. Hmm. (laughs) Probably just a poor choice of words. Maybe a little... Back-of-the-hand thing, little, you know, side-eye thing. I don't know. Oh, by gosh, by golly, it's time for mistletoe and holly. Jack Riccardi, late afternoon show for Friday. We've got the dish coming up after 6. We're going to talk restaurants. You can praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience on the dish. And uh, we're also uh, getting closer Tuesday night, wrapping with Jack out at Blue Bonnet Palace in Selma. Talk more about that. 
uh, coming up. On the JR poll today, will you watch the USA versus the Netherlands tomorrow morning? Are you going to tune it in? What do you think about them giving half the men's winnings to the women's team? Just giving it to them. So, in the name of equity, they, and this was pre, you know, pre-negotiated. They didn't just decide to do this on the spur of the moment. They knew they were going to do this. They had made an agreement because there was a lot of squawking after the last World Cup. They'd made an agreement that says, look, from now on, when the women uh, win money, when the men win money, it will go into a pool and the two teams will split it evenly. We're all Americans. We're all, you know, we're all in this together. It's like we're one team. That's fine for them. I mean, I'm not, there's no way I can tell them what to do. It's, It's their team. It's their deal. But don't tell me that's don't tell me that's somehow equity. <laughs> don't tell me that that's somehow equality. That's just covering over the fact that there's just a lot more money. In uh, you even see this. I don't know if you've noticed the the marketing that they do for women's sports now. They actually tell you that you should watch women's sports to support the the athletes to support these you, these girls and these young women. Like, come on, show us you care, support us. You don't see professional or even collegiate sports teams make that kind of appeal, right? The appeal is the value of the product. Is it, do I want to watch it? Is it compelling? Am I into it? The women's appeal now is kind of like, you, you really ought to watch us. You know, you need to support us. It's like, it's like, if you don't watch us, it's like you're not supporting your own daughter. So, I mean, I, I wish them well, but don't tell me that that's equity. 210-599-5555. And then watching President Biden with President Macron is just another uh, reminder of what this presidency really means on the world stage. It's one thing when he's you know, playing here on the home field. But when you have foreign leaders next to him, when you try to imagine the dialogues, the meetings, the negotiations, he's, he's dealing with a guy half his age. Just imagine the circles they're running around him. And um, apparently they even walked back some of what he said. Like he had, he had apparently told Macron wants him to meet with Putin. And Biden told him, yeah, yeah, I'll think about that. And then the White House had to come out today and say, no, our position is there's not going to be any meetings until they stop the war. And that's a that's just one thing, but you can imagine under the surface how much more of that iceberg there must really be. So 210-599-5555, we've got the CNN layoffs, we've got the men versus women sports. David is on KTSA late afternoon. Hi, David. Hey, Jack. Hey, the weekend starting. Don't remind me that President Biden is our president. Let's let's start the mm, weekend on a high okay. note. Okay. Okay. So, we'll, we'll pretend that's not the we, case. Who, who do you who do you want to pretend as president right now? Anybody except Kamala. <laughs> okay. I actually want to talk about women's sports. Okay. Uh, the, the company that owns the San Antonio Spurs is called San Antonio Sports and Entertainment. Keyword there is entertainment. They are not athletes; they are entertainers. I can play a drum kit. I can't. But I don't make nearly as much as Mick Fleetwood because I'm not as good and nobody mm-hmm. ever buys my records. Mm-hmm. 
So we're equal drummers, but we're not. The NBA has been in business for I don't know how long, many, 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 many years, and for many, many years it struggled and lost money, lost money. The payers were very poorly paid. The WNBA is really a startup league, and it loses, you know, somewhere around $10 million, $15 million a year. It has to be something. Is that right? I didn't know that. Do you, do you know that for yes. a fact? Yeah, that's interesting. I do. The NBA men's league has to subsidize it. Well, you know, what would really be interesting to know then, I think, David, if I can just kind of jump in here, what would be interesting to know is not what this player, Jewel Lloyd, makes, but w- whether her uh, salary represents the same uh, fraction or um, percentage of the total revenue coming in that the, 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 the salary of an NBA player would would represent. In other words, you, you, sure. you're comparing, otherwise you're comparing apples to oranges, and what you're saying is, they're actually in negative territory, so if they give her $234,000 a year, that's not reflective of what she's bringing in. That is absolutely correct. If it was yeah. based on that, they would be withdrawing money from her. I think they'd have a good argument to make if they could say NBA teams have like a higher percentage of their revenue goes to payroll than WNBA teams. If they could say that, they, I, I would see their point. But otherwise, no, I don't think you can, you cannot compare. Like, like you said, that would be like saying, why don't people pay $3,000 to see me play the drums or you play the drums? It's an inane question, yeah. right? Correct. They're, they work for a company that is losing millions of dollars a year and they're still paid. I don't know too many people who work for a company that has since its inception lost millions of dollars well don't you think though that but hold on i I will i will push back on you a little bit with this because let's assume that you're right about the losing money part i think it's an image builder for the nba i think burnishing and 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 um you know polishing the laurels of the wnba and pointing out that they have these teams and and they operate in the same cities with nba teams and they play in the same arenas and all that stuff and a lot of times the tickets are packaged like if you're a season ticket holder uh, for the, you know, Phoenix Suns, you get some tickets to the WNBA team in that package. That's just a way of them marketing the NBA to women. I agree there. Completely. So they may be losing uh-huh. money now, but they're probably thinking eventually we're making it back with a, a better, a, you know, a, a nice, uh, image. Yeah, and maybe more- eventually it even becomes a, a moneymaker on its own. Um, I doubt it because, you know, I've talked to my wife about it. She doesn't want to watch WNBA. We used to be Spurs ticket holders. We're not anymore. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. women in general, men, we, the television shows, the things that we watch on TV are sports or generally teams who people form together to build something. Um, What television show, in generally speaking, do women watch where women bond together and build something? The, The view, they yell at each other. Watch that. I don't want to. You know what? I know. I know where you're going with this, and I don't want to answer it. Okay. I, I, I don't blame but I, I like the other point. I like the other point that yeah. you made. It's a good. It's a good point, and I I agree with you about that. And that is interesting, David. Thank you. I didn't know about the fact that they actually weren't making any money. If that if that's true, that's that's really striking. But but it goes to my point, which is what you really would need to know is not salary versus salary, uh, but what what. Uh, what it, how much of, of what they pay you is represented in the total revenue, uh, for that entity? Um, and, and then I think 
it, it wouldn't be scandalous at all. As far as the mascot, I don't even know where to begin. It's embarrassing that that you compare a professional athlete uh, to a mascot. Obviously, the mascot has mass appeal. Kids like the mascot. They take pictures with them. Little kids that are at these games don't even know what they're watching. Uh, there for the mascot. You know, it's it's not that's not a good comparison. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. Next year all troubles will be out of sight. All right, 440 on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Jack Riccardi, late afternoon show. We've got the dish coming up after 6. Um, the FBI was meeting with big tech companies on a weekly basis right before the 2020 election, according to the testimony of an FBI agent uh, in a lawsuit brought by Republican state attorneys general this week. FBI would hold weekly meetings with big tech companies in Silicon Valley leading up to the 2020 election to discuss, quote, disinformation on social media and ask about efforts to censor that information. Uh FBI Supervisory Special Agent Elvis Chan, who serves in the San Francisco Bureau, was questioned under oath about his alleged critical role in coordinating between the FBI and social media platforms. said that he, along with others in the FBI's Foreign Influence Task Force and Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency officials, held weekly meeting with major social media companies to warn against Russian disinformation efforts ahead of the 2020 election. There's a couple of things that are interesting about this. A lot of people will will zero in on the fact that the First Amendment protects free speech. The federal government has no role, no business in policing speech, period. But the other part of this that's interesting to me that seems to get overlooked is these are private companies, at least for now. Why are they submitting to and even joyfully engaging in this relationship? The tradition in American business was that the government should leave us alone, unless unless we're getting a favor or unless we're lobbying the government for something or to write legislation. There's something very um, wrong with these companies inviting in and welcoming and wanting to be on the good graces of the FBI. And this is what I meant when I said we're in a time of of exposure and disruption. We're in a time when we are learning and hearing about a lot of things we, we, you and me, were never meant to learn about or hear about. And that's the unhingedness of the, of the response to Elon Musk. You're probably getting tired of hearing about him. I'm getting tired of hearing about him too. But the point of this whole thing is, um, he, he took something over that was theirs or in their mind was theirs exclusively. And he is threatening to and actually beginning to open up drawers and closets and pull stuff out that you weren't supposed to see. I don't know how much of that will, there will be, but I know that, that that is the freak out over Musk. 
And so if big tech companies, and no matter how you slice it, this is a bad look for them. They're having these meetings. If they welcome these meetings, if they're like, yeah, we want to help, I mean, by all means, let us know what we can do, then they're basically, you know, an arm of the DNC. If they really don't have a good feeling about this or they don't think they should be subject to this kind of interference, they should have, they should have been raising a hue and cry about it. That would have been a very American thing to do. Hey, everybody, we're get, you know, we're getting bullied by the government. They're trying to push their way into our business and we're not having it. And of course, you can imagine how if the Trump DOJ had gone to big American corporations and demanded a seat at the table and demanded meetings and demanded cooperation, then there would have been all kinds of, you know, posturing about our freedoms and our rights and this is not who we are. But when, when Democrats want it, oh yeah, we're, we're, we're good. Let us know what we can do. Let us know how we can help. Mind, mind you, all of this is going on while Trump is president but not at his direction or behest, obviously. Wall Street Journal today, speaking of Trump, Wall Street Journal today, this is an interesting take. I want to know what you think about this. Their editorial is entitled, Carrie Lake is the new Stacey Abrams. Carrie Lake, who was the Republican in Arizona, uh, lost the governor's race by 17,000 votes, or 0.7%, which is outside recount range. She's now calling the election a sham, to which the Wall Street Journal says, Congratulations, Ms. Lake. You've earned the 2022 Stacey Abrams Sore Loser Award. And their argument is that although uh, Carrie Lake lost, she received far fewer votes than other Republican candidates did in Arizona. She ran behind their candidate for state treasurer. She ran behind their candidates for the House of Representatives. She ran behind local Republican candidates in the localities that we're comparing. So in other words, maybe if you're claiming that the Democrats stole the election, why did they let all these other Republicans win, is their argument. And I can see what they're saying. Like, maybe maybe you just lost. Their, their, their contention is that the, the Republicans in Arizona who lost were too Trumpy. They were, they were too out there. And other Republicans did just fine. Might be true. Might be true. But you could also argue, right, that the the country doesn't care who Arizona elects as their state treasurer (laughs) or the prosecutor in such and such a county. The rest of the country doesn't give a damn. But Carrie Lake was about to become a major star in the GOP. If she had won that governor's race, she would have been on everybody's short list for VP and maybe even list for president. So I can see that argument, too, which is, okay, we, we didn't steal it across the board. We just stole it from you. But I do, I do think this. I, I think Republicans are always in, the, in a bad uh, position when they are contesting an election after an election. And it just happens too often. I'm just getting tired of it. We've explained many times. You and I have talked about this many times. If, if you think that the Democrats have their finger on the scale, if you think that they are playing games with with ballots and uh, ballot eligibility, and vo- then you have to fight that fight before the election even starts. If you haven't, if you didn't, then you're stuck. 
Katie Hobbs, the winner of the governor's race in Arizona, was also the Secretary of State. She ran the election. So it turns out in Arizona, if you were a conservative Republican, you needed to care about who your Secretary of State was before you needed to care about who your governor was. And how much of a challenge and how much of an issue did Republicans make about Katie Hobbs as Secretary of State? Probably not very much. Well, there you go. That's where the power is. Remember that saying? We kept we kept quoting that saying. It's not who votes that matters. It who's, it's who counts the votes. And really, more specifically, who organizes the voting. So I don't know if she's the new Stacey Abrams, but yeah, you can't. You can't fight these things after they've happened. You've got to fight them before. You've got to make sure that what we think and suspect with good reason Democrats are doing, they are not in a position to do. Until then, I don't want to hear it from the Republicans. On 550 and 107.1 KTSA, if you are one of those people that likes to think about it and you've been thinking about it, um, asking you to please hit that give button at KTSA.com for Wrapping with Jack right now. Do it right now before you wrap up your week, before you end your work day, before you get out on the road. Uh, because if you put it off, you'll forget. And Wrapping with Jack is this coming Tuesday night. And you can make a donation now off your debit or credit card or through the Amazon wish list and help us make Christmas happen for the families and for each member of each family served by Family Service Association. We have all the details at KTSA.com, all the ways you can give. And also, hope you'll join us this coming Tuesday night at the famous Blue Bonnet Palace in Selma. We'll be out there between uh, 6 and 8 for the big shoe. In fact, Ken Slavin's going to join us to talk about that next hour uh, here on KTSA. Yeah, we, you know, we were talking about the men's versus women's sports. Personally, I was like a real knuckle dragger for a long time. I never watched any of it. I don't need that. And then, you know, I don't know if I happened across it or the guy got bored with whatever game I was watching. I, I've watched some women's collegiate basketball. It's good. It's pretty good. And so it's made me think, is this a product that if enough people see it, it will be competitive? And the WNBA, same thing. And, you know, Women's World Cup soccer, same thing. Is it just a matter of time, do you think? Like, if, if it just gets on the air and people give it a chance, they will form affinities, they'll develop favorite players, they'll get hooked on a team. Or do you think, you know, I think that's, Jack, I think if that was going to happen, that already would have happened. Because there's a big push right now to get them more more television exposure. And um, as I said, the, the marketing of a lot of women's sports and women's sports television right now is sort of finger-wagging. Like, you know, you really ought to support this. You really need to get behind this. You know, it's only right. It's only fair. And I, that, that doesn't seem like a very good pitch to me. Like, I can't remember ever turning on the TV because I felt it was my duty. <laughs> this isn't how it works. I need to buy a ticket to that event because it's my duty. I want to show that I'm a good person. 
I, I think you got to win on the, the the entertainment value. David used that word, uh, and that's that's right. I mean, sport sports is definitely many things. It's not just entertainment, but it is entertainment. And um, you're going to win if people want to watch, want to buy the tickets, want to buy the merchandise. I don't think you can guilt them or shoulda coulda in, into doing it. I, but but I mean, tell me what you think. And and I mean what kicked this off was there was a meme going around this week that said that the highest paid WNBA player is paid $234,000 a year, whereas the mascot for the Denver Nuggets gets $625,000 a year. Those mascots do work very hard, and they have quite a following. I don't know a lot about the Denver mascot, but, I mean, look at, you know, look at the Coyote. I mean, it doesn't matter how good or bad the Spurs are. They're not very good right now. The Coyote is a rock freaking star when you go to the AT&T Center or anywhere he shows up. Whatever they're paying him, he's worth it. That's how this works. They're not paying him what seems just. It's a business. So I guess we're all keeping an eye on Twitter, right? Because this is uh, the day or the afternoon, actually, that Elon Musk, right? Kirsten is going to, he says he's going to start to reveal how they internally handled and suppressed the Hunter Biden laptop story. Yeah, that's my understanding. And then, of course, you've got, uh, you know, I guess the rapper formerly known as Kanye West, now suspended. Yes. So it's kind of, you know, it's a lot of back and forth stuff happening with Twitter right now. I'm trying to figure out why he would make a major announcement like this on a Friday night. That's a good question. Seems like odd timing. Yeah, maybe maybe I, in his world it's like, you know, maybe he's like what, like a 24-7 kind of guy, <laughs> yeah, right. you know. It's like <laughs> yeah. when you're a billionaire, I guess Friday, the weekend is not such a big uh, no. such a big deal to you. No, and when it's Twitter, when you've got that many followers and that many right. people connected, maybe yeah. it doesn't really matter what time. Maybe There's no doesn't. prime time. It, it only matters, though, for like to get the news coverage of what you're doing. Yep. You know, you're kind of you're kind of outside the window. But anyway, um, all right, 210-599-5555. Uh, the rocker Cher has opened up about uh, her life on an episode of the Kelly Clarkson show. She revealed that her new boyfriend is 36. She is 76. Make your, you know, make your own if I could turn back time joke. I'm not going to do that. It's, you can do that for yourself. Uh, even she admits that the relationship is, quote, kind of ridiculous, but in real life, we get along great. Cher says he's fabulous, and I don't give men qualities that they don't deserve. He's very kind, he's very smart, he's very talented, he's really funny, and I think he's quite handsome. I just like somebody to make me laugh. So, I'll tell you what, we've all had our fun at Cher's expense. Cher is kind of the Nancy Pelosi of pop music with that, you know, all that facial work that she's had done. You know, she has one of those faces where it, it doesn't move anymore. You know, she like always looks surprised no matter what. But I got, I got to hand it to Cher. You know what? I'm going to tell you right now. You can't change the age you are, but you can do, you can choose how you feel about it and what you do about it. And if she feels comfortable and attracted to and and uh you know in sync with a guy 40 years younger 
a guy that probably doesn't know who Sonny ever was or that there even was a Sonny. Good for her. You know, good for her. She says in the interview that she's had a couple of boyfriends who were around her age, but they didn't like her and she didn't like them. She says younger men don't care if you're funny or outrageous or want to do stupid things or you have a strong personality. I'm not giving up my personality for anybody. I'm not the biggest fan of her music, but I, I'll, I'll say I think that's a I think that's all right. I, I agree with her. You should you should be with who makes you feel loved and appreciated, and d- don't care what people think. Don't worry about how it looks. Don't worry what people say. People are going to talk. You know, I mean, it, it is an extreme age difference, but let's say instead of forty years. It was 25 years. Wouldn't people still make fun? Wouldn't people still point? Yeah, they, yeah, they would, right? So, you go do you, Cher. Now, um, I think we've said this, but this guy says it better than I've ever said it. His name is John Hayward. He's a conservative writer. And he was tweeting about electric cars and the EV revolution and this is what he said, and, and I agree completely with this. And again, we've talked about this. John Hayward writes, The end game of the electric vehicle revolution is not the same number of people driving around except using EVs instead of gas cars. The end game is sharply restricting or eliminating personal transportation for the middle and lower classes. Uh, there are not enough vital minerals in the entire world to replace the internal combustion engine with batteries. It is an empirically demonstrable fact. Those profiting from the EV revolution are well aware of it, Hayward writes. And what of the third world? If it's physically impossible to build enough EVs to replace cars on a one-to-one basis, what happens to the places that need affordable internal combustion engines? They're being consigned to eternal pre-industrial poverty. Hayward writes, it's outright imperialism, especially when you look at what actually happens to the countries where our green visionaries are happy to unleash rapacious Chinese corporations to rip Mother Earth to shreds. Global dreams of expanding a prosperous middle class are shattered. The genuine demand for electric cars is very nearly zero. If they were sold at realistic prices without titanic uh, titanic subsidies, forcibly extracted from taxpayers, there would maybe be a hundred of them in the entire world, driven by virtue-signaling idle rich. We have been forced to finance our compulsory transition away from reliable and affordable personal transportation. If this was any other industry, the left would be screaming bloody murder at the cronyism, corruption, profiteering, and staggering environmental damage. And, And I think he's right. We talked yesterday about Henry Ford, and in his time, he was as feared and hated and maligned as somebody like Musk is today. One of the reasons for that is that Henry Ford democratized people's movement, and movement is freedom, right? I mean, the, the, the most obvious symptom of being free is moving around, is going places, is leaving your house, is going where you want to go, when you want to go. And the the democratization of mass-produced cars that were sold for prices that a working man could afford and the revolution of people in, in the country being able to come to the city, 
the revolution of people being able to travel on their own in their own vehicle, the revolution of young people being able to get away from their parents and their families, uh, the, the revolution of people being able to start a small business because they could move their goods around. That's democratizing. And yes, there, if the EV lobby gets his way, gets its way, I think John Hayward is right. I think there will be fewer cars. And you may have one, and you may therefore not care. But I'll tell you right now, it will matter to all of us if more people are more dependent on mass transportation. It changes all the decisions people make. It will change how they vote. It will change how they work, or if they work, or where they work. And so it will come back to you. You may be fine. You have your Tesla. You're good. You've got it. You're not, you know, you don't, you don't care what anybody else does, but you're happy with your te- But they're, they're changing the complexion of society from a society where increasing numbers of people drive themselves around to a society where increasing numbers of people will be like, well, I, there's, there's no way for me to go there. So I'm not going to do that. Or I need to live here so that I can work there. So his premise is they they know full well that the EV revolution is not a one-to-one thing. That it will it will not be electric cars replacing gasoline cars. It really will be mass transit replacing privately owned cars. Tell me what you think about that. 210-599-5555. And kind of a related story, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of articles about this coming winter in Europe. And um, the, the, gen, the gist of them all is this. Whatever country it is, like I'm looking at one here that's in Switzerland, uh, and it says that the Swiss people are being told by their government, and this is, by the way, one of the wealthiest countries in the world, the Swiss people are being told there will be very little electricity, uh, only essential travel will be allowed this winter, there will be energy rationing, you will not take showers, you will not do laundry, uh, stores will have limited hours, you will only be able to shop on a designated day, uh, buildings will have their heat limited to 65 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, some businesses won't be allowed to turn on heat at all. Bars and nightclubs will not have heat. Sports stadiums will be closed. Movie theaters will be closed. So the point is, here is a very wealthy country with a very advanced tradition of infrastructure, like when the Swiss build something, they build it. You know, they're, they're very good at it. These are countries that know how to build infrastructure, they know how to generate power. They are choosing this scarcity. This hasn't been thrust upon them. This is a choice. This is a policy. Just like what John Hayward was talking about. If that comes to pass, and I think it could, that won't be, oh, well, sorry, nothing we can do about That will be a decision. That will be a set of choices that people made for you. And If people keep accepting a little less, a little less, a little less, whether it's freedom or electricity, um, you can, you can be sure you will keep getting less and less. It's like the frog in the boiling pot of water. If he doesn't seem to mind it, 
Turn it up a little more. And that's what it looks like to me. I mean, do you see that? That's how this looks to me. I'm looking at countries where I would think people would know better. I know they know better. We're one of them. And we're kind of sleepwalking along through this. Well, I guess it's the future. I guess it's just how it has to be right now, right now. Dashing through the snow In a one-horse open sleigh All the fears we go Laughing all the way Jack here for the late afternoon. Rapping with Jack coming up on Tuesday night. 6 to 8 p.m. We'll be at Blue Bonnet Palace in Selma. We'll do the whole show from there. And, of course, from 6 to 8 on the big stage with Ken Slavin. He's going to join us here coming up in a few minutes. And we'll be wrapping the presents donated through your generosity for Family Service Association. Uh, wrapping with Jack 2022. All right, so uh, John Hayward on Twitter, I thought, had some really great points and said it, I think, better than I could say it. The EV revolution is not really a transition to electric cars. It is a transition away from uh, people in privately owned, self-operated vehicles. So, and I'm extrapolating a little bit on what he says. This isn't all in his Twitter thread. But if you look at it this way, for years they've tried to get you out of your car and into mass transit and... It hasn't worked. Ridership is not increasing. Trying to build streetcars here didn't work. Trying to build subway uh, lines and light rail in other places doesn't work. So they've gone from trying to persuade you you don't need a car, want a car, to a situation where you're going to be forced. And he says that's the end game because they know you can't build enough of these and you can't build them affordably or quickly enough to do a one-to-one replacement. Bill is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Bill, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jack. I agree exactly with what you're saying and what the commenter had just said. I work downtown and have watched the continual growth of the VIA buses downtown, many of them of which are now double buses that when you can see inside of them have one, two, or three people, if you look around Travis Park or down North St. Mary's downtown, the number of buses is unbelievable. And my thought has been that this is just getting the infrastructure in place for when they finally force people out of their cars, they're going to say, hey, look, we've got the buses Mm -hmm. already. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's a joke to watch them circle around downtown and me and my car try and fight my way to work getting around them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and and I don't think people consider how much uh, social engineering you can do with a population that is dependent on mass transit. You really can control where they live, where they shop, um, where businesses go, where they don't go. Politicians will, I do not trust them to have that kind of power. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah, Bill. Thanks for the call. Appreciate having you. Um, and and so in in some cities where mass transit is much more a facet of life, um, those cities have grown around that. They are now dependent on it. I, I you know if you if you know anything, you know that I I I am originally from Boston. I will tell you that in Boston, if you lived in Boston, if you had to 
move there and take a job there, you'd use mass transit. I used it. People use it. You have to. They don't have the land. They don't have the room to move people around on, on highways and byways. But here, you are never going to persuade people out of their personally owned, personal use vehicles. You're not going to, it's not going to be a marketing thing. V is doing all this marketing. The only way that transition happens in a place like this, and places like this are most of the country, is if it is forced on people. Sorry. These electric cars, they cost a lot of money. They require uh, scarce materials. We can only make so many of them. We'll put you on a list, but we don't have one for you right now. But here's the bus. Here's the light rail. 210-599-5555. The, um, this reminds me, too, of the whole, remember we were having the whole debate about science and that you can't question science. That came up during COVID. That also comes up whenever you talk about climate change and the need for electric cars and we need to stop uh, oil and gas, uh, an oil and gas economy. There's a guy named Eric Sorensen who's a weatherman and was just elected to Congress as a Democrat. Uh, he tweeted out uh, on Wednesday, if you disagree with scientists about science, it's not really a disagreement. You're actually just incorrect. Science is not truth. It's the process of finding the truth. You can't disagree with science on science. So here's where I have a problem with that. Remember when they said that the George Floyd protests were not, uh, COVID, the COVID rules didn't apply to them because they were different and they were significant and they were important. Um, but you couldn't go to a funeral or your kids couldn't go to school. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with that science. I'm going to say that's science I disagree with. And by the way, if you can't disagree with something, doesn't that make it propaganda? Now, you might say I disagree with some scientists because science is almost never unanimous. I can't think of very many things upon which every scientist agrees. And if it is something that everyone in the scientific community agrees with, you and I probably wouldn't disagree with it either, like the earth is round or something like that. But there's rarely 100% consensus. And when you simply decide that scientists who are saying something you like must be right, that's a choice. That's dogma. That's not science. In a way, it almost is more like a religion. You've made a decision to choose, you know, you've chosen a belief system. That's how these people strike me. They can call themselves scientists, but it seems very dogmatic to me. And, um, you know, the fact that during COVID or in the current debate about the climate, real scientists disagree. People with credentials, people with standing, People who've done the, 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 the studying and, and, and earned the degrees, written the research papers, have real disagreements about the science we are told by politicians is settled. Um, if, you, if you actually listen to scientists, they rarely agree 100%. 
it's politicians and 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 media that try to tell you there's only one way here. There's only one version of this. And then to his point, he says in his tweet, this uh, weatherman congressman, um, he says science is the process of finding the truth. When science evolves, he wrote, it didn't lie to you, it learned more. Okay. Well, then why during COVID when scientists who disagreed with other scientists came forward and said, hey, what about this, or we're studying that, they were shut down, they were silenced, they were ostracized, they were ridiculed and demonized, deplatformed. If science is about learning, and we're learning as we go, then we should welcome all comers. Like if you were studying the solar system, and I I gather from what I've read and heard, we learn every day more about the solar system. We don't know everything. So everyone who's studying it could potentially make a contribution to our knowledge. It would make no sense if tomorrow they announced, that's it, everybody. We're not, we're shutting down the web telescope and we're not looking anymore and we're closing observatories and we're not going to discover any new bo- celestial bodies. We're, we're set. This is it. This is the solar system. It's done. That wouldn't make any sense. So these people kind of tell on themselves, right? Because they, they want to say the reason we get things wrong is because we're in a process of learning and exploration. But then when other people say, well, hey, I'm, I'm researching this, or what about this theorem? Shut up! <laughs> and I, I also, I have a real problem with the whole idea that if you and I are exposed to theories, that's dangerous. When did we suddenly become a civilization that should not hear and sift through and judge theories? You know, I mean, you you can figure it out. You have some discernment. I can figure it out. I have some discernment. It's very very. It's it's crazy to me how fast they are trying to shut down all of this and lock down all of this. It's like. It's like this is the year when all knowledge stopped. Got everything figured out. Two plus two is four, and that's it. Except gender studies. Oh, we've got we, anything's possible with gender studies. Then they they change their tune, right? They know everything you can possibly know about the climate. They know everything we can possibly know about COVID. Wait a minute, gender studies? How many genders are there? We don't know. What is a woman? We don't know. Can men have babies? Can men menstruate? Well, we don't know. Very open on that, I've noticed. Hang all the mistletoe, I'm gonna get to know you better. This Christmas, and as we trim the tree, how much fun it's gonna be together. This Christmas, the fireside's blazing bright. All right, 540 on KTSA. Hey, coming up the dish, we're talking restaurants after six. Can't wait hear from you about that and i'm excited about tuesday night are you getting are you getting amped up are you getting excited we haven't had an in-person rapping with jack since 2019 that that was three years and 50 pounds ago so <laughs> i'm very excited uh to be out and we're very grateful I, I know i keep saying this but we are very grateful to the folks uh at blue bonnet palace and selma um for being our hosts this year 
And uh, it's a big, if you have not been out there, it's a big open space they have out back with a big outdoor stage. And um, it's probably the biggest, highest stage we've ever put the, the band on. Uh, so we'll have Christmas music that is par excellence. I mean, you, you can't buy a ticket for a better Christmas concert in San Antonio than the music we will have for you Tuesday night between 6 and 8. And you'll be wrapping presents, and you'll have your family and your friends and your kids and just good times, and we'll we'll all be back together again. If you need any information or you have any questions about it, go to KTSA.com and click on the Wrapping with Jack button. The details are all right there. We still need your help. I I don't want to, you know, get into dollars and cents and sound like I'm doing an accounting thing here, but... It, you know, we're, we're never, we're never really sure we're across the finish line till the last minute. So we need donations. If you haven't given yet, you can do that at ktsa.com. And if you have given, thank you. Uh, and we appreciate all of our, uh, supporters, Quarter Moon Plumbing, Heating and Air Conditioning, River City Oral Health, uh, Oral uh, Surgery, Institute for Functional Health, and Copenhagen. 210-599-5555. You know, and I'm, I'm also, um, this is going to be a, a, a really interesting one for us. Um, it's, it's probably the biggest stage we've ever been on. It's a huge space. It's a big area. Um, it's outdoors. And, uh, so it's a lot of, it's a lot of firsts. And, um, and, and, and honestly, because we have not been together since 2019, um, I'm I'm trying to be cautiously optimistic that that people will come back. But I have to be honest and Don, you know this from you've heard me you've had to listen to me angst about this on the air for many years. I never take for granted that people will come out. Like the fact that hundreds of people come out every year doesn't I always I always feel like we start at zero, you know. And um and that's why we invite and we mention and we repeat it and we talk about it. Because I, I know there are people that will just come because they come every year and participate and, and give, uh, but I always, I always want to start as if you know I want to play from behind. I want to start as if we're starting at zero. We're reinviting everybody. We've got new listeners. We've got people that have come to the radio station. Um, you know, one of the crazy things about the last couple of years, it has grown the audience of this show. So there are now a lot of new people listening. And they weren't with us. They weren't on this show. They didn't hear this show. They maybe weren't even listening to talk radio, maybe, uh, in 2019. So you're invited. Everyone's invited. Is it, you know, people will ask me, well, can I bring my kids? Is it all right if I, we love when you bring your kids. Bring everybody. Tuesday night, 6 to 8, Blue Bonnet Palace in Selma. All the details at KTSA.com. So I just posted this very randomly. It was right before the show started, and I, I had seen it on a Facebook page or, or a Facebook group that I belong to. And um, just kind of, you know, just clicked the share button. It was a picture. It is a picture of, we used to call it the Lifesavers book. Do you know what a, do you know what a Lifesavers book is? You know what I'm talking about when I say that? And as soon as I saw this picture, it brought back memories for me. My my parents used to buy uh, these Lifesavers books, and they gave one to the mailman every year. We had a mailman named Larry for many, many, many years. He was the, the postal carrier in our neighborhood. 
And he was a great guy, and he was like a friend of the family, and he always got a gift or two Christmas. They'd give him this uh, Lifesaver book, and we would get them in our stockings sometimes. And it's like a, it's a cardboard package with, I think, about, uh, I don't know, 12 or 16 uh, different rolls of Lifesavers, all their different varieties, grape and root beer and spearmint and peppermint and uh, all the different flavors that Lifesavers makes. And so I just posted it on Facebook. It was on a uh, one of those Facebook groups, you know, I'm so old, I remember when. People are going crazy over this Facebook, uh, I mean, over this uh, Lifesavers book. Everybody wants in on this. And I did not know, I, I, I just kind of assumed, because I'm old, that they probably didn't make them anymore. And people are like, oh, no, 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 they still make them. They have them at HEB. It really is a pretty cool gift. I mean, who doesn't like Lifesavers, right? I mean, even if you don't like all the flavors, you just break out the rolls you want to keep and you share the ones you don't, right? If you don't like butter rum, you share it. If you don't like wintergreen, you share it. But I'm glad they still make it. That's a good thing. That's a nice thing to see. At our age, we're just glad they still make anything we remember. <laughs> Someday we'll be sitting around going, I remember when these, when these cars ran on gasoline. Maybe sooner than we think. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go Take a look at the five and ten It's glistening once again With candy canes and silver lanes that glow It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Yeah, we were looking at, uh, I was just talking to somebody on Facebook and we were talking about, um, how you used to give your mail carrier a Christmas gift because you saw him every day, you know, every day, or you, you know, or at least he was in your neighborhood every day. And now, I guess, with more and more people having like community mailboxes, you probably don't even see or know who delivers the mail, right? In a lot of these neighborhoods. So, um, but yeah, we would give our mailman the Lifesaver book. I, I, I don't know what the official name of it is. We always called it a book because it opened up. And it was a, a two, you know, flanking rows of uh, like six on each side or something, maybe eight on each side, rolls of lifesavers. And then it folded up like a book. It closed up like a book. And it was a good gift to give people. It was easy to carry. You could pick up a few of them in your travels. They were sold everywhere. The whole history of lifesavers is fascinating. It was a, it was invented by a guy who wanted to invent a candy that would withstand the heat of summer. Before there was a lot of air conditioning, chocolate candy didn't do well in the summer because stores were hot and the candy would run. So he invented this hard candy that you could sell in summertime. And that was a good idea, and he called it Lifesavers because it looked like a little floaty ring. But then another guy bought it, and that was the guy that really expanded it and made it what it is today. And his gimmick was, we're not going to sell this candy in the... um you know, on the shelves with other candy. He he was the one that came up with, it's going to have its own rack. The rack is going to be right next to the register where people check out. A roll is five cents. People get a nickel. There's a sign telling them, hey, with that nickel, why not pick up a roll of Lifesavers? And they would. And then, of course, more flavors, more packaging. They made them in different sizes. They made the books. I don't know when the books came along. But it's a great story, and it's a great brand, great idea. 
there's like there's hundreds of stories like that, right? I mean, it's stuff that we look at, we look right past every day, and it's got all this fascinating, innovative history behind it. And, and then, and then the other thing I was thinking about was. So I mentioned um, that we used to give one to our mailman, and a lot of people on Facebook are commenting and saying, "For in our family, the Lifesaver book was a stocking stuffer. We would get them in our stockings. And I know people hang up stockings, but this sounds like a poll question, but it's not. Do people still actually fill stockings? I mean, do you like buy stuff that goes in the stockings? Or is that sort of passe? Because I actually still do a stocking for my daughter, and for the dog. Very different items, needless to say. But yeah, for, for my daughter, I've always done like, um, you know, snacks and little treats and things like that. Little, you know, things that you wouldn't normally have in the, in the house. Um, crackers and candies and, you know, mints and chapsticks. Little, little, just little things that fit in a stocking. I do a gazillion of those in a stocking for her. And then I've always, for my dog, I've always done like a dog stocking with like treats and chews and a new Nyla bone and you know that stuff and the dog doesn't care you know needless to say the dog would only care i think if the stocking was made of ham the do- the do- and is there such a thing can i get that hook me up with that if they make that because then i think the dog would be very interested otherwise you kind of have to unpack the dog stocking for the dog they don't know they don't get it but a stocking made out of ham that could be something they have to invent that. That may be my lifesaver idea right there. 210-599-5555. Remember when um, we, we made a lot of jokes about this at the time. Remember when they were trying to get people at the very beginning of the COVID vaccine, when they were trying to get people to get the vaccine, they were offering all these wacky bribes, and New York City was offering a, a, a package of French fries <laughs> if you would get the vaccine. All this while later, now they're up to trying to get people to, you know, get boosted and get the latest booster, and there's ad campaigns for the booster. The Los Angeles Public Health uh, Twitter account is um, advertising that if you um, get the booster, you can get free donuts. This is the... uh, Los Angeles Public Health, Los Angeles County. If you get the new booster for COVID, free donuts. I thought this was the health department. I mean, I love donuts. I'm not, I'm not hating on donuts, but isn't it kind of a weird look for the health department to be promoting donuts? And also, it kind of looks like they think we're drooling idiots like we'll just do anything for a donut you know (laughs) you know like oh let's not let's not persuade people that this would be good for them or talk about i mean where where is all their vaunted science right you're you're trying to entice people with donuts so bill de blasio had the french fries la has the donuts and um, I don't know. We'll see how it works. Maybe they're good donuts. I don't know. It's called Randy's Donuts. But I mean, honestly, is that gonna is that gonna be your deciding factor? Like, no, nah, I wasn't gonna get it. I was gonna skip the booster. But you know what? I really could. I feel like a donut. So, on second thought, I'll make this important health decision 
so I can get a free donut. Wow. Beans and cornbread. Beans and cornbread. Beans and cornbread. Beans and cornbread had a fight. Beans not cornbread out of sight. Cornbread said, now that's all right. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. Well, all right, here we go on a Friday night. It's The Dish. We're talking restaurants. This is the last hour of the week, and this is the hour that we turn it over to you, and you tell us about where you had dinner tonight or lunch today or you went out this week or maybe you went to a new restaurant, and you're going to let everybody know it's there or it's new to you or you want to sing the praises of an old favorite. 210-599-5555. On the dish, we're not asking for a restaurant review, just kind of recommendations like you would tell a friend or you'd tell a coworker about a place you'd recommend you'd 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 let them in on it you know you're letting us in on it um you can talk about the food the price the service you can tell us what we should absolutely order when we go there best thing on the menu or you can tell us why we shouldn't go there at all because of what happened to you you can praise or zing but we also know that uh, incentives help. Did you say free fries? Mmm. Mmm. Mm. Wow. Praise or zing. Any restaurant in or around San Antonio on the dish. 210-599-5555. And we'll talk about the JR poll and get to the results on that coming up later in the hour as well. Um, we were talking about... Uh, Stocking stuffers and people started sending in or emailing me their uh, their stock their favorite stocking stuffers when they were kids. Like you know what a lot of people have mentioned, and I remember these. Do you remember those gold coin, those chocolate coins that were wrapped in gold foil? And as kids, I don't know why, but that just—I mean, we knew it was chocolate, but it looked like gold. You know, I mean, so it was like I've got gold and candy. I'm set. And then people are saying, um, you know, various other little, tri- like uh, one lady wrote in and said that her grandmother gave her um, money in her stocking. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if people do stockings as much as um, we used to. I mean, I think the stocking was like the main event. You know, when 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 kids only got a few things, they were probably in the stocking. But I think, you know, everything's gotten bigger and uh, people hang the stockings, but it seems like they don't really put anything in them more and more. Anyway, we'll talk about that. 210-599-5555. We're going to get to your calls on restaurants. You can praise or zing any kind of food, any kind of price. It can be in and around San Antonio, really anywhere uh, within a, you know, a car drive away. So, yeah, it can be in Austin. It can be in Hondo. It can be uh, in Corpus. 210-599-5555. So we'll talk restaurants. We'll get your votes in on the JR poll. Uh, all coming up here on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Um, we had the news uh, about um, uh, Christine McVie uh, this week of Fleetwood Mac. Stevie Nicks has written a really nice tribute to Christine McVie um, on her Instagram. By the way, Christine McVie was 79. Stevie Nicks is 74. can't wrap my head around that. She wrote on Instagram, I did not even know she was ill until late Saturday night. I wanted to be in London. I wanted to get there. We were told to wait. 
She said, one song has been swirling around in my head over and over. I thought I might possibly get to sing it to her, and so I'm singing it to her now. I always knew I would, le- I would need these words one day. Nix then wrote out the lyrics to Hallelujah, including the verse, I had a best friend, but she has come to pass. One I wish I could see now. You always remind me that memories will last. These arms reach out. She wrote, see you on the other side, my love. Don't forget me. Always, Stevie. So I was, I, I was immediately hit and hit hard uh, by that news. But it's been very touching and very interesting to see how many different people and how many different age groups of people appreciated Christine McVie. I guess, and I, I know we're talking about restaurants, so I'm on a tangent here, but I guess I'll just say this. Sometimes you will hear people say, these kids today, music, this isn't music. I, I'll leave that up to you as to what you think of today's music. I think some of it is really good and some of it is really lousy. But when I see every kind of age and every kind of walk of life appreciate the musicianship of somebody like Christine McVie, I think we, we can't be doing too badly. You know, if people know her music and and appreciate it enough to mourn her, she's not exactly been in the limelight lately. I mean, let's face it, right? Before you heard that news this week, when was the last time you, you thought about her, right? But apparently a lot of people, a lot of different ages, are feeling the loss, and Stevie Nicks is feeling the loss. 210-599-5555 as we talk restaurants on the dish. Yeah, let's talk about, um, like, what was something when you were a kid that you liked to get or you always got in your stocking? Maybe it was the Lifesaver book. We We started out with that. That's how we got on this kick. Uh, the, the Lifesaver gift pack or book. And then, um, which I found out, by the way, it is called the Lifesaver book. So I, I, I thought I just made that up, but that's that's actually what it's called. Um, or, or maybe it was the chocolate uh, coins covered in gold foil, or maybe it was money, or maybe there was something else that your family put in um, in stockings. I know a lot of Italian families uh, put... Um, certain kinds of Christmas candies. Uh, we used to get these, um, we call them Taronis uh, because that was part of the brand name, but they were individually boxed uh, like nugget uh, candies. And to be honest, I think they make them all year round, but it was something we only we only got to have and we only saw at our house around the holidays. And you could buy a box of them or a tray of them and then each of them was individually in its own little box, like probably about the size of a matchbook. And so we would get a few of those in our stocking. And a lot of Italian families had Taronis or, or, or whatever your tradition was. Like an 
That's a great, great song. That's Brenda Russell right there singing a song called Get Here, which um, I always remember. I always associate this song with the um, Persian Gulf War. This song came out right before the Persian Gulf War. It was, it was sung by a lady named Alita Adams, who has a beautiful voice herself. And this became a song that a lot of people dedicated to um, a loved one who was, you know, serving overseas or waiting for them to come home from uh, the war, the Persian Gulf War. And it's become kind of a holiday song now because a lot of, a lot of artists include it in their Christmas album or their Christmas uh, playlist because it's about people you're waiting to see. Uh, and that's part of what the holidays are, right? Hopefully we will see them. And we're waiting to see them. So, the great Brenda Russell. 210-599-5555. All right, we're talking restaurants on the dish here on a Friday night. And Gennaro is on KTSA. Gennaro, happy Friday to you. Hey, Jack. How are you doing, now? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, first off, I want to have a couple of seconds uh, to uh, talk about uh, Christine McBee. I love her. Uh, I loved her, and uh, I have almost all of Fleetwood Mac's stuff, mm. man. And mm. um, her voice, Stevie is great. Stevie is mm. great in her own in, in, in own way, but Christine mm. McVie, man, she yeah. had that voice. Yeah, I'm very sad. And um, so, but uh, anyway, um, I'd like to take a zing at Sea Island. Uh oh, what happened? On Rector mm-hmm. and Pedro. Uh, I was there a couple of weeks ago. And um, the other Sea Islands, they give you a little box, like a, an electronic box. And when your, your order is up, you, you go up and get it. Like a, like a beeper. Yeah. Yeah, like a beeper. Well, not at this place. And I'm like, okay. So we go in, I go in, and um, there's tables that are not bust or anything. Mm. And I'm like, okay. And there's people that are coming in and they're actually busting their own tables. They actually mm. know where the cleaning things are. Wow. Wow. And I guess that's why they're not busting the tables. If the customers are going to do it. <laughs> well, the thing that we'll see, I used to be in the fly and uh, in the restaurant business when I was like 1920 or 21. And, um, it actually make me sad because these kids, man, they weren't trained for this. And um, all right, so anyway, let's get back to the. So what happened at Sea Island? What was the zing about? Well, the thing is, man, um, the service and I ordered the southern fried catfish with shrimp. The shrimp came in cold. Took it back, get it reheated. Shrimp. Tasted like it came from out of Canyon Lake, man. It just was horrible, and I, I'm serious, Jack. Why are you hating I on Canyon so Lake? Why you, don't hate on Canyon yeah. Lake. But it wasn't good well, shrimp. Jack, the point is, it wasn't good shrimp. Okay, Jack. The thing is, man, I I I felt so awful seeing mm. the the service has just gone down so much, yeah. man. And, and oh, yeah. there were so many people in the kitchen, man. Well, yeah. come on, man. Bring some yeah. people out of the kitchen right. to help. Right. So, um... So that's the yeah, thing for the, for, the, for the Sea Island on Rector, huh? 
Yeah, I don't think I will ever go back there again. I, I, it was my first time there. I think since 1971 when I was a little kid. Oh my goodness! Uh, I think okay. it'll. I yeah, I don't think it. I think it'll be another maybe 30, 40 oh, 50 years. years? Okay. That long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I'm not going to be there. I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm, I'm sorry that happened to you, I, I, uh, I appreciate that, and we'll take that as a zing. For Sea Island Shrimp House, the original location on that chain on Rector behind North Star Mall. But we also know that uh, incentives help. Did you say free fries? Mmm. Mmm. Mm. Yeah, we've been getting calls on Sea Island for 20 years on the dish. I'm just looking back here. We have not had a zing on any of their locations since 2012. So, whatever that's worth. 210 599 Fifty-five, fifty-five. Cindy is on the dish on KTSA. Hi, Cindy. Hello, Jack. It's always so nice to talk to you. I try to I try to chime in every now and again. And I want to well, say, Christy McVie, amazing songwriter. Mm. Um, in my stocking were occupation babies. We want Lebkuchen. And my I'm sorry, they were what? 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 What was in your stockings? It's called Lipkuchen, and uh, there's a lot of us occupation babies that came over from in the 60s, you know, were born in the 60s, uh, and so I have a German mother. I'm sure everybody's got some kind of foreign mother that was occupation baby, and okay. so we brought those traditions here, and if you go to Trader Joe's, you can get uh, Lipkuchen, and you know, when you ask for it, they know what it is, because there's people like us, we want that Lipkuchen, and it's like a And what is it? It's, it's oh, it's gingerbread. gingerbread. Oh, okay. Made in Bremberg in the 1600s by monks. Wow. Are those the gingerbread cookies that you can also buy, like, in a tin? Yes, and they're expensive. Okay. I've seen those, yes. I love ginger snaps and ginger cookies. I'm always, anything like that, I'm good with, so. Well, you you learned a German word today, Lebkuchen. I've learned a and, lot today, Cindy. <laughs> me too. It's been Some of it I'm going to try to forget in a few minutes. So Tai Ocha, I think is the name of it, on Aviation Boulevard, is my favorite right now here in uh, Universal City. Um, may I suggest, Jack, that you get there for the buffet. Oh, okay. Do they do the buffet every day? Every day, at least during the week. It is phenomenal and a great value and so fresh and delicious and so authentic. And they get you in and out because you're right by the Air Force Base and... It's delicious and delightful and a very small place. So, And it's Thai Ocha, O apostrophe C-H-A. Yes. Huh. Has anybody okay. ever talked about it? No, never had a call on this place before. It's 220 cool. East Aviation Boulevard in, in uh, Universal City. Is it, near, is it near Randolph? Right across from it. Next right to across, the okay. Which is excellent. Okay. We'll very talk nice. about that one later. Okay. Well, that is our first. That's our first call on it. So you you've just clued in a lot of people about a another place to get Thai food and Universal City Thai Ocha. And I want to thank you again for having this thank, show. I really enjoy this on Fridays. Th- thank you, Cindy. Thank you very much. You have a good weekend. I appreciate your kind words. You as well. You as well. Praise for Thai Ocha, two twenty East Aviation Boulevard, in Universal City, on the dish. There it is. Two ten five nine nine. 5555, Jack on 550 and 1071, KTSA, as we talk about your most recent restaurant experience. 
You can praise or zing any restaurant, any kind of food. It can be a chain. It can be fast food. It can be white linen tablecloth, special occasion kind of food, anything in between. Michael is next on KTSA. Hi, Michael. Hey, Jack. How you doing? Thank you. I uh, tried the um, the Sea Island on Rector and on uh, Ingram, and uh-huh. um, I tried the Senior Citizen Special at Rector, and the fish was wonderful. It was tender and soft and hot, mm-hmm. and uh, I did the seafood platter at Ingram, which is kind of what I normally get, even though it's a lot of food, but it lasts me two days. Um, but uh, seafood platter, the one at Ingram also was five stars, so mm-hmm. I've never had a bad experience there. I was just really surprised. Uh, that's why I felt uh, obligated yeah. to call. You wanted to give your put your version of it in there. No, I appreciate you you're doing that. Um, yeah, I I do think they are different from place to place. I, I that's one of those places that I think some sea islands have their act together better than others. But uh, but I'm glad you had good experiences at those too, Michael. Thank you. Appreciate your call, sir. Have a good weekend. Praise for Sea Island in this case. Well, coming up on KTSA, we'll have the results on our JR poll. We were asking you today, are you going to be tuning in the USA-Netherlands World Cup game tomorrow morning? Let's think about soccer. you got to watch it when it's on, right? Yes, all these different times, odd, oddball times. Um, like, I can't, I can't, I, I love football, but I can't, like, get into these Sunday morning, oh, we're playing in Munich. I don't, it's not, it's not the time of day for me. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, if you're a World Cup fan, you got to watch it. And obviously everybody's excited now because the U.S. men are playing above expectations. Uh, so we'll see how you voted in the JR poll. We're also going to remember the biggest music event from 40 years ago this week coming up. And right now we're talking about restaurants on the dish. This is our hour of the show every Friday in the 6 o'clock hour where you can praise or zing a recent restaurant experience you've had, and Rob is doing that right now. Hi, Rob. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So, actually, it's Ron. But, oh, Ron, I'm sorry. Uh, the, reason that, the reason that they said uh, Rob is because I'm calling in about Roberts by the Lake, which is in Canyon Lake. Mm-hmm. It is on the north side of Canyon Lake on 306, and they just opened up at the beginning of this year, and they are fantastic. They have a lot of Cajun food. The chef is from Louisiana, so if you want to get a taste of Louisiana, that's where you need to go. Hmm. Give me an example of something that's really good, or what's the what's what should somebody order the first time they go there? Um, I actually had... Um, crawfish and i had three pounds of it and they didn't think that i was going to finish it but i actually did because it was so good but after that i was in a food coma (laughs) (laughs) i'm not a big i i know people love crawfish i'm not a i'm not a bit is that a lot i mean is three pounds a lot i don't know because i'm not really into that yes yes it is but uh, my wife actually got uh, the it was the chopped um the pork chop 
and it was delicious, and it was a large portion. Uh, and I mean, everything that we have ordered there, it's mm-hmm. been delicious. Very good. Looks like it's uh, open um, Tuesdays through Saturdays, closed Sunday and Monday, lunch and dinner. Roberts by the Lake, and it's two zero eight eight four FM three zero six in Canyon Lake. Roberts by the Lake. Praise for that. Thank you, Ron. Appreciate it, sir. You have a good weekend. Thank you for calling the dish. Praise for Roberts by the Lake. There it is. 210-599-5555 as we take your calls to talk about your most recent restaurant experience, which can be anywhere in and around San Antonio. Remember when they were making um, state quarters? I remember the exact years. That was some years ago, right? That that they would, every few months, there'd be a new batch of them. And it was kind of a curiosity thing. You'd pull the change out of your pocket. And you'd, oh, do I... I do I have a Texas one? Do I have my home state? Do I have this one or that one? I didn't really think very much of it. I'm not a coin collector or anything like that. But apparently, apparently, uh, the state quarters are now becoming valuable. Uh, television station KTLA in Los Angeles did a story about, um, based on where they were minted, some of the state quarters are now worth as much as 40 to $50 to collectors, obviously. Don't, you can't, can't go buy dinner with a quarter, but you know, if you, if you were to sell it to a collector and if it was the right mint and it's, it depends on the state and if it has a certain letter code on it and all of that, some of them are worth a lot. Some of them are worth pretty much what they, you know, face value. So it just depends. And it, there's, there seems to be no rhyme or reason to it. The lowest, uh, priced, uh, state quarters, for collectors at least, are um, states like Georgia, Delaware, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, South Carolina, some of the highest value ones, again, based on where they were minted, uh, Connecticut, um, let's see, Wisconsin. Okay, so go through your change. If you even still have change, right? I mean, do people even still have change? I do. Uh, but I know that was another thing that that we uh, kind of lost a lot of during the the uh, the new normal. It's the new normal. First, they didn't want. Remember, at first it was like we, we're not taking money. Where you you got to pay with a card. Then it was we, we're out of coins. Could you please bring us some coins? Yeah, everything right. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five as we talk restaurants on the dish. The um. The Guinness Book of World Record people are in the news uh, this week. They are recognizing a retired uh, school headmaster from India. Uh, he has the Guinness record for the longest ear hair. The longest ear hair. I didn't know that was a category. Uh, his name is Anthony Victor, and he has hair uh, sprouting from his outer ears that measures about seven inches long at its longest point. He um, is known as the ear hair teacher. I'll bet he is. And I checked, ladies, he is single. So I'm just saying, men like this don't come along every day. You know, guys with seven-inch ear hair don't exactly grow on trees. So 
Better grab them while you can. Mighty attractive feature. That's right. Absolutely good for him. He's got a good full head of hair. It's not like he needed the ear hair, but uh, apparently he just... How does that work? Do you set out to have the longest ear hair, or do you realize one day that you have really let your grooming go, and you're shocked, and then you're thinking, well, you know what? At this point, I might as well just keep going and go for the record. Is that how it works? Because, I mean, every so often as a, as a guy, can I say this? I don't want to give away all the guy secrets, but, you know, sometimes you notice a nose hair or an ear hair, and you're like, whoa, I need to catch up with this. You know, I need to get on top of this. And I guess that's one one approach. You know, you quickly... uh take care of business, TCB. But I guess the other approach would be, well, if I've let it go this long, maybe I turn it into a virtue, (laughs) you know? That becomes my thing. He goes to a bar. It becomes a conversation starter. Um, I think ear hair, nose hair, that wouldn't be for me, but maybe there are women that like that, Don. I don't know. We shouldn't judge. Sounds like an excuse not to manscape. Maybe he will find a woman that also has long ear hair. You know, I mean, who knows? They'll be very happy together. Um, must be tough to put like earbuds in all that hair. How do you get those? How do you get your little? Uh... <laughs> See, I would worry about that. Like, I, how do I live with this? You know, only I'm you would think of that. Up. I know, but I mean, it's important. You know, I want to hear my music. How am I going to do that? Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. We had a we had a very. Um, very weird story this week about that guy. Remember we talked about that guy, uh, Sam Brinton, who is uh, one of Biden's appointees to the Department of of Energy. Now, I'm, I'm saying guy, but we're supposed to, he's non-binary, and we're supposed to say they, them. Uh, them, Sam Brinton, um, is, is the person who uh, boosted a $2,000 designer piece of luggage from the airport in Minneapolis, even though he hadn't checked any luggage, he took a piece of checked luggage off the carousel and scooted off with it. And uh, he's facing felony charges uh, for that. And so then that opened the whole door. He had been in the news a little bit when they appointed him because he's gender fluid and he's very out there. And I'm sorry, they are out there. Uh, he's quite the, he cuts quite the uh, dashing figure, too. If you haven't uh, seen what Sam Brinton looks like, go ahead and Google him. I'll wait. But anyway, um, we're learning more about him now, and one of the things we're learning is that um, even after he took the job, which is a high-security job in the Department of Energy, he's in charge of uh, managing uh, spent nuclear fuel uh, materials. He has continued um, touring with a seminar that he gives entitled Spanking from Calculus to Chemistry. He presents the spanking seminar under the pseudonym Nuclear Nerd. And um, the seminar is about the science of spanking, which I I didn't know was a science. Um, he talks about, um, you know, how different, applying different amounts of force to spanking uh, has different effects and what happens to the buttocks when they are spanked. And uh, he calls it the physics of kink. And he uh, says physics are a pivotal part of the kink experience. See, I guess this is why I can't be kinky, because I've never been good at science. It was never a strong 
subject for me, so I guess this is a scene I'm not going to be able to move freely into. Am I the only one who thinks he looks like Matt Damon? If you look at Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Take yeah, I, a little bit. Little a little bit if in Matt, the eyes, if Matt maybe? Damon was emaciated and shaved his head, <laughs> yes. I kind of see it in the eyes. Maybe a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I'll tell you um I'm probably going to get I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, but what he really looks like to me um is kind of like an evil villain from like a from like a 1930s you know, movie where you'd have like a, like an evil Chinese underlord or something. He just looks, you know what I'm saying? You, you get where I'm going with this? Kind of like in the old Charlie Chain movies. L- something like, like that, 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 but okay. not, but not that. I'm, I'm, I'm reaching for it. It's not the Charlie Chan movies, but it's not Mr. Moto, but it's like those, that era. And, um, yeah, he just has a very, he's a, just, it's a, I'm sorry, I keep saying he. They just have a very weird look. See, I can't... It has nothing to do with respecting your pronouns. Those of us that learned they, as it applies to a group of people, are not going to be able to unlearn that. You can start over with younger people if you want, but they means more than one person. I I can't use they. It It doesn't work for me. But if that's your pronoun, you know, do your thing. I have no problem with this guy, except he shouldn't be in the Department of Energy. He shouldn't be in a security clearance job. But if he wants to do his, um, you know, his spanking seminars and all that, they have them at hotels, like you'd go into a hotel. You know, you, you go into a hotel and you're like, oh, there's an event here. You know, they have those easels. Imagine you're checking in, you get your family with you. You're checking into the Westin. <laughs> you're checking into the Hilton, you know. You're on a family vacation. The kids are wandering around the lobby while you get the keys and get the room number and all that. And here's an easel. Here's a placard with the 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 kink seminar on spanking. Yeah, maybe we should check out the. Uh, why don't we see if they? Why don't we see if they have rooms at the uh, Fairfield Inn? Here, I'm gonna make a make a split second change here. This might not be the place for us. Hello, Indivisibles. I'm here to highlight something that (laughs) is keeping me up at night. Canadians are really uptight. Sure. Why not? It's a body. It's a human body. Why not? It's a human body. Should we have naked men reading to little kids? Sure. It's a human body. Oh, okay. Ooh. Oh, man. Stop the world. All right, on the JR poll, uh, across all of our platforms, will you watch USA versus Netherlands tomorrow morning? 77% said no, but 23% said yes. People are jumping on the World Cup bandwagon, figuring out this soccer thing. My mom is watching it now. She was asking me all kinds of questions that I did not know the answers to because she presumes I know about football, I would know about soccer, and I had to tell her I don't. Sorry, I don't know. All right, um, well, as I mentioned, um, it was 40 years ago this week that an album came out that changed the entire trajectory of the artist and really of popular music. It was 40 years ago this week that the Thriller album uh, was released. And the funny thing about the Thriller album is we're going to play a song right now from the album, 
uh, and leave you with that song here tonight on KTSA. But the funny thing about this album was it followed a really successful Michael Jackson album called Off the Wall. And at the time, people thought that would be the biggest album he ever did. Of course, Thriller was exponentially bigger than that. And again, produced by Quincy Jones, a raft of big hits, including this one. We'll leave you tonight with Billie Jean, Michael Jackson from Thriller. And see you back here live Monday at 4 on KTSA. Have a good weekend.